0: And this is KDMA's Real Date Night, the only podcast approved by KDMA and Bigfoot 105.5 KMGM. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And thank you for tuning in uh, for this third very special podcast, as this week we talk about one of the greatest films in the Halloween film collection, not the Halloween franchise, but your Halloween movies. And my favorite personal Tim Burton movie, and it was the favorite film of the lead actor who was in this film.
1: Yes, this is absolutely a gem. And I feel like this one, this movie out of Tim Burton's movies in particular, really shines. Especially when you see how small of a budget he was given and the amount of practical effects that he had to create. The amount of people that he was able to cast on and just the overall production of it for such a small budget.
0: And one of the few Tim Burton movies without either Johnny Depp and or Helena Bonham Carter.
1: One of the very, very few.
0: We are talking about the 1988 classic film. I I don't even want to say it because...
1: I'll say it. I'm feeling feisty. Beetlejuice.
0: Oh, there's one. I got a hunch that this is going to end bad tonight. So, yeah, we're talking about Beetlejuice, uh, one of my favorite movies as a kid. It still holds up. I remember being seven years old when this movie came out, and God bless my dad for letting me go see it.
1: Yes, and tonight we're not just talking about Beetlejuice. We're also going to be talking about the amazing dinner that was supplied to us tonight by Jake's Pizza here in Montevideo.
0: Yeah, tonight we had their barbecue chicken pizza and their garlic cheese toast and... What a treat that they provided for us here tonight. This looks amazing.
1: Yes, this is absolutely fantastic. I've always been a big fan of barbecue chicken pizza, and it's one of those things where sometimes you can go a little bit too heavy on the sauce, a little bit too scanty on the sauce, and then the chicken can go you know one of a few different ways. Overall, this looks like it's going to be really, really delicious. And let's just talk about the amount of cheese here.
0: Not only the amount of cheese, look at all that bacon sprinkled over the chicken and the barbecue. And the cheese here, it it looks pretty simple. You got your barbecue sauce, your cheese, you've got chicken, of course, and lots of bacon.
1: Yes, there was absolutely no skimping on the bacon, but let me tell you about the amount of cheese on here. There is an overwhelming surplus of cheese in all of the best ways.
0: Yeah, there's no such thing as too much cheese on a pizza, and this is definitely a surplus of cheese. So yeah, tonight we are going to talk Jake's Pizza, we are going to talk Beetlejuice And we are going to not only discuss the film, but discuss a lot of things that this film has inspired, including a Saturday morning cartoon show from the late 80s and also a Broadway musical.
1: Yes, it was on Broadway. Sadly, due to COVID-19, Broadway is shut down until 2021, which... Eliminated all of my plans this year to go up to New York and see Beetlejuice on Broadway, which would have been my third Broadway show that I got to see on Broadway.
0: And she has said it twice. Uh, You know, you are really meddling with powers that you don't understand. Yeah, I just quoted the movie Ted.
1: It's Showtime.
0: All right. It is Showtime, ladies and gentlemen. And let's just jump right into this film A lot of interesting facts about the 1988 film Beetlejuice, including Michael Keaton, the star, the title sake, the namesake of the entire movie. Out of a 92-minute movie, he is in this movie less than 15 minutes, but it just seems like he's always there.
1: What I love most about it was how I found out he ad-libbed 90% of his lines, and I I have to wonder if he was handed the script and looked at it and went... (laughs) crumpled it, tossed it off to the side and just kind of went with his own. Or if they just kind of knew that Michael Keaton was just going to do Michael Keaton things from the beginning.
0: I, I think that Tim Burton knew that he was going to do Michael Keaton things and just said, you know what, here's a script. You can use it to your, use it as a guideline. And one of the other interesting facts about this movie, it takes place in winter river, Connecticut. However, It was actually shot in Connecticut's neighboring state in the small town of East Corinth, Vermont.
1: Now, those of you who are listening up in New England, you know that the spacing between a lot of New England states, you hop on a highway, you start off in Vermont, and next thing you know, you end up three states over. They're all wicked close together.
0: They really are. And the distance from East Corinth, Vermont, to where Winter River, Connecticut would have been, Because I don't believe it's an actual town. Uh, It's a suburb right outside of New York City. So the actual, to equate it, if you're sitting in Montevideo listening to this, if you drove from here to Minneapolis, that's about the distance.
1: Yes. So another fun fact, just because I'm, I'm absolutely loving the amount of trivia that I've dug up about this movie. The studio originally wanted to call the film House of Ghosts, and as a joke, Tim Burton said, well, let's just call it Scared Sheetless, which if you've seen Beetlejuice, you know that bed sheets come into play. And he, Tim Burton was actually horrified because the studio really liked the name Scared Sheetless and considered using it.
0: Yeah, that, that makes me scratch my head a little bit. But for me, my favorite performance in this movie was not that of Michael Keaton. It was of my absolute first childhood crush Minnesota's very own Winona Ryder, named after the small town of Winona, just outside of Red Wing, on the eastern portion of the state, where uh, I've been several, several times, and it's a it's a gorgeous area. She was, although her birth city is listed as Olmsted County, Minnesota, but she was born in Winona.
1: I absolutely love Winona Ryder, and I have always thought you know if not for if not for Beetlejuice would we have gotten the Winona Ryder that we know and love today in Stranger Things where once again strange things are going on and for some reason Winona Ryder is the only person that is able to get anything done about it.
0: Because she herself is strange and unusual. Yes. Beetlejuice was also the first pairing of Winona Ryder and Glenn Shaddix who played Otho in the film. They would play in a separate movie a year later, in the amazing 1988-89 film, one of my all-time cult classics, Heathers.
1: Yes, he was in that, and that was also a really fantastic movie. That's a fantastic pate, but I've got a motor if I'm going to make it to the funeral.
0: Such a great line from the movie Heathers. Again, one of my favorite movies, and that just kind of started setting a path for Winona Ryder, on her just amazing career before she just said, you know what? I'm going to do indie films for a while. And then she pops up in Adam Sandler movies. And then she had the starring role on stranger things. And I've only made a few Winona Ryder references. She's got a, just an amazing long storied career. But for me, this was the, the defining moment of her career at 17, because it was going to just set her up for the rest of her life.
1: I, I feel like we're ignoring the elephant in the room, though, and it wasn't until I rewatched the movie. Granted, I hadn't watched Beetlejuice since you know, I was much younger, but Alec Baldwin, they had baby Baldwin on there. Sweet little baby Alec Baldwin, who at first glance and second glance, I didn't even recognize. And he almost had like this geeky Rick Moranis type of vibe going on with him.
0: Yeah, the short haircut, the glasses, the button-down flannel that was tucked in. I I could see where you could get that, but obviously, this is a long way between the Alec Baldwin then and the one that gets paid $2,500 to go on Saturday Night Live and do the best Donald Trump impression I've ever seen in my life.
1: Yeah. um...
0: Josie's speechless right there on that one.
1: Anyways... Uh, Alec Baldwin, personally, I absolutely have always loved him um, as an actor. I loved him in 30 Rock, and I loved how he made so many jokes at his own expense in the show. And then I recently watched Rock of Ages and was absolutely astonished that he can sing.
0: He can sing. And I'm glad you brought up Rock of Ages, because that's one of my favorite Alec Baldwin performances, where he played the bourbon room owner, Dennis Dupree. And I, I love the the duet he did with Russell Brand, where they covered Speed Speedwagons, I Can't Fight This Feeling Anymore. That was such a fun part of the movie. And Alec Baldwin, acting-wise, can do no wrong for me.
1: He was fantastic. And what I find really weird is that Alec Baldwin, out of the entire cast of Beetlejuice, he is the only person that I have found anything about that He's come out on, on on the record and said that this wasn't his favorite movie that he's ever done. He actually didn't like it.
0: And I think it's because he felt that he didn't do a good, solid performance from what I was reading. He's very critical of himself. And if he doesn't feel like he nailed it, then he's going to just say, you know what? I didn't like it. But another performance I really loved is Catherine O'Hara. And she's another one. She never does anything... That's not memorable. Of course, most fans would remember her from the first two Home Alone movies playing Mrs. McAllister. Uh, and she was absolutely brilliant in those movies. And she did the first Home Alone about two years after Beetlejuice came out.
1: You know what? I I, I, I have to laugh because wasn't she the mom in Cujo?
0: No, that was Dee Wallace.
1: Dee Wallace. Okay, never mind.
0: But Catherine O'Hara, she... Beetlejuice was really her breakout film, and then she really became a household name with Home Alone.
1: Yes, yes. Once again, um, I love Home Alone. Absolutely love it. I have always kind of wondered, though, and this will be a topic for another day how could you possibly forget your kid and go to France?
0: You know, my dad always said it's not that hard. You just pretend that they're in the back seat and you just go with it. If you're not in the car when he's ready to leave, you're home alone. (laughs) But not getting too off-key here, let's stick with Beetlejuice. It was one of those movies where when they shot certain scenes, and we'll talk about this in our second segment, when they shot certain scenes of this movie, Tim Burton was nervous that, I don't know how audiences are going to take to that scene. And the answer, well... He got his answer pretty quick when they ran this in front of test audiences, and that will take us into our first break. When we come back, we are going to discuss this delicious food that's sitting in front of us and talk about one of the very scenes that Tim Burton was afraid was not going to do well. This is Real Date Night, our KDMA podcast.
1: The salad bar at Jake's Pizza located in downtown Monty is finally back open. And to celebrate, we're running a special where you can get a seven inch two topping pizza, the salad bar, and a soda for the low price of $9.25. Our new dine-in hours are from 11 until 2 and our nighttime hours for delivery and takeout only are from 4 to close due to COVID-19 and to help keep people safe and healthy, a mask is required. If you would like to enjoy the salad bar, give Jake's Pizza a call at 320 269 2 to place your order today.
0: Farm safety is not just for farmers. We should all take extreme precautions on the roadways during this upcoming harvest season. It takes only seconds for a car to reach a tractor on the highway. Once you notice a farm vehicle, slow down immediately. Only pass in the designated passing zone. Watch for entrances on the left side of the road as an operator may turn unexpectedly. Leanthrib Farmers Mutual reminds you that the patience is a trait that allows everyone to go home at the end of the day. Play it safe and slow down. This message has been brought to you by Leanthrib Farmers Mutual your local Grinnell Mutual member insurance company, serving western and southwestern Minnesota since 1886. And we're back here on May's Real Date Night. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And we are discussing the 1988 classic Beetlejuice. But before we do, let's jump into our Jake's Pizza. We've got the barbecue chicken pizza. And we finally got to have a couple bites during the break as we got the movie rolling in the background. This is a tremendous, tremendous pizza.
1: Well, Clint, I see that you're you're trying to balance talking while eating, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in on here for you and just talk about Jake's pizza. So this pizza, first and foremost, it's a fantastically decent-sized pizza. There are tons of, just tons and tons of piles of toppings on it. A lot of times, the pizza places will skimp on the toppings, and you basically are just eating a slice of cardboard with a little bit of a tomato sauce on it. With this pizza, there is a lot of flavor going on. The chicken, there are big, delicious chunks of chicken. You can tell that this isn't just chicken that came out of a can. This is really actually well-cooked, delicious chicken. And what I love right now is not only are we enjoying this, but on the TV in Beetlejuice right now is actually the scene that Tim Burton was quite worried would not pan over well. And what I'm talking about is, of course, the infamous dinner party scene.
0: Yes, the dinner party scene, the Deo scene, whatever you want to call it. It's one of those where Tim Burton was worried that the audience wasn't going to get it. They weren't going to like it. But 32 years later, it's probably the best remembered scene in the whole film. And not only that, but this scene pays a lot of homage to the late, great Harry Belafonte because a lot of his music is used sparingly, in spor- sporadically, I should say, throughout the entire movie, where you can hear it in the radio, you can hear people singing it. and
1: It was used for the end credits as well with uh, Sheik sonora I, I absolutely love Harry Belafonte, but I have to wonder if... Well, I don't actually wonder. I, I firmly believe that Beetlejuice gave his music a second breath of fresh air, where a whole new generation got to hear his music, you got to appreciate it, you got to kind of understand exactly how fun and infectious it was, And still is, honestly. I have always loved his music.
0: Well, you bring up a really good point because I would firmly say that Beetlejuice kind of did a trend with that with when they resurrected the music of Harry Belafonte. Four years later, Wayne's World did the same thing with Bohemian Rhapsody.
1: Yes, and I I absolutely, I could honestly do an entire hour of talking about songs or artists that had a second resurgence due to their music or their mention having, you know, appeared in film. But I really think that Harry Belafonte and Beetlejuice go hand in hand. Another thing that I really want to talk about, I mentioned that this movie was made on a very, very, very small budget and the amount of practical effects. Nowadays, you can do things with CGI and depending on how you outsource your CGI or special effects. You can get a lot for a pretty penny with practical effects. It is so much more taxing. Some of the stuff like the masks that were used in different scenes, they took weeks to make weeks, like actual weeks of sculpting and casting and building. And they all are absolutely iconic. Same thing with the sandworms, the sandworms you can, you cannot picture the sandworms looking any other any differently. And I'd say they're iconic. And for him to have created so many iconic imageries off of such a small budget is fantastic.
0: It really is. And Beetlejuice did so well. It was in the top 10 grossing films of all of 1988. And this was kind of a breath of fresh air in the career of Michael Keaton. He had done a few comedies up until this point, including Mr. Mom and Gung-Ho. But this is where... He really became a blockbuster leading man because I think a year later he goes on to play the role of Batman, and some people still think that Michael Keaton is the best Batman. And you know who directed the first two Batman movies? Tim Burton.
1: Beetlejuice also it it begins an era with Tim Burton. So up until that point, Tim Burton had done a few small shorts, such as Vincent and the original short of Frank and Weenie. The only other thing that he had really done was Pee-wee's Big Adventure and the next thing that he would do is Batman. But after Beetlejuice, you started seeing the Tim Burton that we all know and love with him doing Edward Scissorhands and Sleepy Hollow, moving into Big Fish, Corpse Bride, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. He started to really find his own and find a support system for him to be able to create this iconic, just beautiful cinematography and also make sure that Danny Elfman always gets a paycheck
0: not only does he frequently use Danny Elfman like you mentioned, but you can just look at a, you can walk into a room, look at a TV screen and you can tell if it's a Tim Burton movie, just how he shoots it, how the lighting works, how the costuming is done, how everything is done in that movie. It just says, yep, this is definitely a Tim Burton film.
1: Yes. He has just a very unique and iconic style to what he does. And it's, It's amazing. And I like to think that this was the beginning of the Tim Burton that we know and love. And also, I think that, I think with his use of miniatures, where how he has the miniature set of the city that he worked on, and that was actually had, had to be hand built, hand painted. I like to believe that that right there was what helped create The Nightmare Before Christmas, because The Nightmare Before Christmas was actually stop animation. And it was they used miniature tables in miniature cities that were about the same size as maybe like 18, 24 inches tall. And they actually built everything and filmed it that way. And I like to think that all of the miniatures that they made in Beetlejuice helped kind of go, you know, we've already built a town before. We can do it again.
0: So as we go through this film, we go through the all-star. We've already gone through a lot of the cast, but... Uh, You know, a couple of, I don't want to call them, you know, I'm just going to call them supporting characters. You have Dick Cavett, who plays uh, Delia's agent. He has the dinner roll scene in the movie. And from what I was reading, it was his idea to have the shrimp pop out of the bowl and grab everyone by the face and push them off. Tim Burton liked the idea, so he rolled with it. You also have the legendary Robert Goulet, who plays Maxie Dean, who... We just saw on screen just a couple of seconds ago and Robert Goulet, he was one of those best known for his Broadway work, best known for his opera style singing, but his career got a boost in the early two thousands when Will Ferrell did a parody of him on Saturday night live. And it stemmed a whole series of parodies and that just kind of reboosted Robert Goulet, but you know, he's got the uh, supporting role of Maxie Dean in this film.
1: Going back to just how iconic Beetlejuice is, one thing that I think is absolutely fantastic, and this is, my, this is my last possibly bit of trivia that I'm going to go ahead and air out about this, when Netflix first started sending out DVDs, yes, back in the day, your grandmother is not crazy, back in the day, Netflix used to mail you movies, and you had to go onto the website, and you had to pick out what movie it was, you had to make a queue, and you had to wait for the post office to bring you your DVDs. This was before the days where we could just cruise through on every device known to man. The very first DVD sent out by Netflix in 1998 was Beetlejuice.
0: Man, you'd think that there would have been a a movie store that you can go and get Blockbuster films like that at the time. Mm.
1: Moment of silence for Blockbuster. Also, moment of silence for Kmart being mentioned in Beetlejuice.
0: Attention, Kmart shoppers. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes um I that's a joke that I I'm hoping that never actually dies even though Kmart moment of silence
0: anyway enough of that but yeah when he does the carnival scene and does the attention Kmart choppers and again as you mentioned earlier Michael Keaton ad libbing his lines, in 1988, when Kmart had the Blue Light Specials, that was their attention to Kmart shoppers. So Michael Keaton probably had been in a Kmart in his life, had heard that over the loudspeaker, you know, between the Air Supply and the Lionel Richie songs. <laughs> I used to work in Kmart when I was a teenager. <laughs> so I know what goes on over their loudspeakers. So he'd probably heard that in his life and probably said, you know what? People are going to get this. This joke is going to age well. The movie aged well. I don't know if the joke did.
1: Yeah, yeah. The movie. The movie's just it's it's iconic. I think that is the best way of summarizing Beetlejuice. the The set design, the makeup. What I absolutely love is the amount of outfit changes that Michael Keaton has. While you have your main two characters that stay in the exact same outfit, other than when they get you know put into their gown and tuxedo for towards the later half of the movie they have they have one outfit change let's be honest with michael keaton it was like new york fashion week every moment that you turn back on to him completely different outfit and even more absurd than the last one
0: i love the the coat with the spikes
1: the coat with the spikes was fantastic honestly it's a it's it's a mood it's a mood up until COVID 19 when people used to get all really close together i would think about that spike jacket and just go you know this is a great way to have some personal space you know Like the police would say, don't stand so close to me.
0: And on that note, we are going to take our second break. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion of fashion week. I mean, Beetlejuice right here on Katie Mays Real Date Night.
1: The salad bar at Jake's Pizza located in downtown Monty is finally back open. And to celebrate, we're running a special where you can get a 7-inch two-topping pizza, the salad bar, and a soda for the low price of $9.25. Our new dine-in hours are from 11 until 2, and our nighttime hours for delivery and takeout only are from 4 to close. Due to COVID-19 and to help keep people safe and healthy, a mask is required if you would like to enjoy the salad bar. Give Jake's Pizza a call at 320-269-215. 115 to place your order today.
0: The Montevideo Senex Travel Plaza, located at the junction of highways 212 and 59 in Montevideo, is open for your convenience seven days a week from 5 30 a.m. to 10 p.m. The Senex Travel Plaza features all of your gas, diesel, propane, and E85 needs for all of your favorite quick stop snacks and meals to go. Also, you'll find daily specials Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. or until gone, plus famous caribou coffee, Hunt Brothers Pizzas. And tasty hot chicken. Three locations just for you. The Travel Plaza and Sea Store in Montevideo. The Granite Falls Sea Store, Highway 23, 212, all ready to serve you.
1: And we're back with Katie May Real Date Night. I'm Josie. I'm Clint. And what I really, really, really love is I, I read I read a thing online about how these kids decide to pull a prank on one of their one of their siblings. And they waited until their younger sibling had gone asleep and knocked out then they went ahead turn out all of the lights and they left a handbook for the recently deceased on the coffee table and for the entire rest of the night they pretended that they could not see their sibling and as cruel and torturous as a prank that is that is i have to laugh because in all honesty from everything that the characters were talking about imagine that poor kid trying to read that book that is described as being about as helpful as an electrical engineering manual
0: that is one of the best pranks that I've ever heard because it's something that I would have done. <laughs> something that a lot of my friends would have done. You know what? It just it just should be done. If you fall asleep at a party first, instead of people writing on you and putting lights on you, that's what they should do to you. And then they should talk about you with the other people in the room as in as if you were in the past tense.
1: Bonus points if you can rearrange their furniture or perhaps like find a way of just changing the room around too.
0: It's like, man, I remember Billy. Remember when he just went to sleep at that party and never woke up? <laughs> man. We sure miss him.
1: I I've always been curious if if somebody would have actually made the handbook for the recently deceased, because it seems like it seems like it might have been a nice light read of just, Oh, they're you know, out there. They're out there. They're okay, out there. Okay, I'll have to I'll have to look into this because I've I've, you know, we've watched the movie. It's described as being incredibly hard to get through, which makes me think it has to be pretty amusing. Speaking of the the handbook, what I think is funny is when they go through basically the afterlife DMV.
0: (laughs) That is the best way to describe that. The afterlife DMV.
1: Let's be honest. I don't know which is scarier, the actual DMV or the afterlife DMV. I think the lines are about the same. Depending
0: on where you live, yeah, you're absolutely correct.
1: Yeah. When I lived in some of the cities, it was like you would call ahead. You'd have to set an appointment. And even still, you'd block off like the next three days of your life. What I find is funny is, oh, you you know, make sure you always bring your book with you. Oh, I forgot the book. The first time I watched the movie with like real comprehension, I half expected them to say, oh, you forgot your book. Well, you'll have to go ahead and leave and you can come back and you can take another number.
0: That's what you would have expected. And it, it, it just it just shows that a lot of the jokes, they they seasoned well.
1: They seasoned very well. They seasoned very well. And. I, you know, I, I never believe that suicide, you know, should be really joked about. But one thing that I thought was rather interesting was the comment that was made over the dinner party about how people that take their own lives, they end up as, what was it that he said? The civil
0: servants in the afterlife.
1: Civil servants in the afterlife. And if you look at all of the people that are basically running the, we're going to call it the, the death MV, let's be honest all the people that are running the death MV, the secretaries, all of the clerical workers and everything, those were all people who it appears as though that was how they met their demise.
0: Yeah, you have uh, Miss Argentina, who she's the receptionist and she shows her wrists. One of the guys in the back, uh, he comes back and forth hanging on a noose. The gentleman that takes them back to see Juno he appears to have been run over, but you've got to think maybe he was laying down on the on the road and purposely met his demise that way.
1: He jumped out in front of a truck. You never know. Yeah, it,
0: but it does appear that you know Tim Burton sets up his own jokes or sets up his own lines in the movie before they're delivered.
1: And you know, if nothing else, that is definitely incentive to not. Commit suicide because I definitely do not want to work there. Did you see the working conditions? There, there is was poor lighting. The air quality looked absolutely terrible. Like I, that's not where I would ever want to end up.
0: No, I I did a job where I demonstrated some products out in certain stores, and I I would probably take the death MV over that job again, but the working conditions were rather poor. Yes. Fun fact about Beetlejuice is, let's go back into the lighter side of things. I kind of touched on this earlier. A year after the film, it was so popular, did so well in 1988, they decided that they were going to make a Saturday morning cartoon series off of it. Did about four seasons, and they wanted to make Beetlejuice a marketable character, and they wanted to not have him appear as the villain. So the cartoon series completely scraps the Maitland's, all together and right out of the gate in the first episode Beetlejuice and Delia or Lydia rather excuse me Beetlejuice and Lydia already have the best friend dynamic set up in that cartoon
1: I I always I remember the cartoon I always wish that they had given us some kind of an indication of how he went from well let's be let's be completely honest Lydia was supposed to be 13 to 16, and the the way that he was going about life in regards to her is, well, morally frowned upon in many ways, also illegal. And I've always wondered how he went from being basically scum of the earth to being the Beetlejuice that we see in the cartoons, where he's like, oh, let's go on an adventure.
0: I think they just scrapped the idea and said, you know what, no backstory, because... When you see Beetlejuice in the netherworld in the cartoon, he's nothing more than just a nuisance prankster.
1: Maybe the sandworm humbled him.
0: Possibly. There's one theory right there.
1: I mean, if you get smacked into by a sandworm that's about the same size as a Mack truck, I feel like that might be a little bit of an attitude adjustment or at least a humbling enough moment to make you really sit there and go, what have I done with my life?
0: From the cartoon, there sprung a toy line that was based off the cartoon. There are plush figures, there are Funko Pops, there are all sorts of different merchandising things. I personally have at least one, maybe two Beetlejuice t-shirts. It's hard to keep track of how many t-shirts I have. I I know I have one of the, I have the set of Pops of Beetlejuice and Lydia at the wedding scene. I know they released last year the Dante's Inferno House Funko Pop with Beetlejuice in front of that. And then we talked about the Broadway musical. I, I have not seen that yet either. It's one that I had planned on going to see, but you know 2020 became a real thing
1: one thing that I've always wondered, so tremors you you remember the tremor series they yes. have like fifteen of them, they come on the sci-fi network. you never exactly know which tremors you're in. you fall asleep during three, you wake up in eleven, and the story's the exact same. pretty much I've always wondered why tremors never came out and fully admitted that their inspiration was from Beetlejuice because let's look at the sandworms, let's look at the sandworms. And they say, no, you know, we just got inspiration from just sitting out in the desert. I really I feel like Beetlejuice lost a little bit of an opportunity to be credited there.
0: Well you're absolutely right. They really didn't want to give the credit, didn't want to pay the royalties. Call it whatever you want to, but it was just your modern day ripoff.
1: It was and going back to going back to Beetlejuice, one thing that I absolutely love was the use of lighting within this movie, and how when they first start out, you're inside of this beautiful little town, and everything's just picturesque, everything is just happy, sweet little, simple, sleepy town, brightly lit up. but then, after the accident, everything changes when you see everything through the couple's point of view, suddenly, the house is now dark, it's now dismal, it's now dusty and they, they started really just evolving the set over time until they eventually got to where they had that god-awful paint job and those sculptures that ended up eventually coming to life. And I loved watching the evolution of the set through this movie.
0: You're right. And one of the things that changed was the the flooring, how it looked it looked almost three-dimensional, especially in the snake scene, which we saw a little bit ago, where they dropped Charles down. And it looks like he's just gonna fall plummet, but it's just it's it just the way the floor was.
1: There was a lot of just there was a lot of practical effects using special like special effects that were practical effects to create optical illusions when they're walking into the Death MV, and they have almost like this M. C. Escher looking room that they're walking through, and then you have the the perspective effects where Michael Keaton looks as though he's standing inside of a miniature set, but it's actually a real set and he's not a miniature. Just the amount of design that went into this movie is fantastic if you just really sit there and look at it and break it down.
0: One of my favorite scenes in the entire movie was the the very last scene where Winona Ryder, she gets the A in the math test, gets the C on the science test because she doesn't want to dissect the frog. And, you know, you, she just wants to do something You find out what it is. She wants to be able to be elevated and uh, dance to the song Jump in the Line by Harry Belafonte with all the dead football players from the uh, crash.
1: Shake Sonora, yes. And what I love is that in the end, everybody kind of got what they wanted. Uh, Lydia was able to finally have people that, let's be honest, wanted to be involved in her life. Her parents, her dad just wanted solitude. Her stepmom wanted to make terrible art. And she was left feeling, truthfully, very alone. The couple, they they wanted to have a child. They wanted to have a family. They wanted to have somebody to share their interests in. At the end, everybody ended up getting what they wanted, which was really fun. How they very, very nicely, neatly wrapped it all around and once again featured a Harry Belafonte dance number.
0: My only question is what happened to Otho?
1: You know, that is a fantastic question. I, I only have one real question with Beetlejuice, to be honest, with the whole entire movie. Why wasn't that dog at the beginning inside of a yard or on a leash? If the dog had not been running around, the car wouldn't have crashed. If they hadn't crashed, they wouldn't have died. And that god-awful realtor who just kept shaking them down would not have won and been able to sell the house.
0: Yeah, you know, she...
1: Talk about an aggressive sales tactic. If If I had... If somebody just kept showing up to my house day after day after day trying to sell it while I'm just trying to live my life in it.
0: Well, you're not trying to sell it either.
1: No, no. I, I don't honestly think that I could have even been half as polite as they were. I don't think that I could have politely opened up the door and said, you know, just please go away. No, thank you.
0: Yeah. I, I've never even seen a realtor just go, Hey, I'm trying to sell your house that you're not trying to sell that you're still happily living in. I've got this offer on it and this couple, they really want it. I know you've told me no, but I, I really want to sell your house that you have no interest in selling. Can you imagine if your realtor just showed up at your house at six 45 in the morning, trying to sell your house that you are not trying to sell. Think about that for just a second.
1: And also the fact that the the couple, they died. And within two months, their estate not only was turned over, but it was sold. The closing process happened. The, the titles, the deeds, and everything. Nothing moves that fast. No,
0: nothing. nothing moves that fast when you're trying to sell something. No. I mean, I, I got to wonder what Jane Butterfield, what her backstory is.
1: So she's able to move a house that quickly while also the bank not... Taking in the possessions that were already in there, does this imply that the house was already paid off? What was the couple doing before then? Did they inherit the house?
0: Well, you know that they own the hardware store, but it's a—you know—it. It, but does does Jane work for the mob?
1: That's honestly what I think it all boils down to. Because how else are they going to have that house completely paid off to the point where, when they die, that the possessions aren't used to try to pay off the remaining mortgage?
0: And remember, this was 1988, and she said that the couple. Offered six hundred and forty five thousand dollars for the house in nineteen eighty eight yeah so what, what, Jay- what
1: were they really doing?
0: I don't know, but I, I I think there are some mob ties here, and maybe maybe the mob sent that dog
1: you know, that dog looked really kind of seedy,
0: you know, Adam, he didn't pay off his protection money at the warehouse. You know,
1: we're gonna send we're gonna send what was it, like a schnauzer or something.
0: Yeah, we're we're gonna send Jimmy the nose.
1: <laughs> we're gonna send over twenty four
0: paws. Yeah, twenty four paws, that's a good one. <laughs> and we're gonna teach you what happens when you don't pay protection. So you know, Jane has to sell the house so she can give the mob their ten percent.
1: Yeah, maybe that's what it is.
0: I turn everything into a mob, you know, every, every movie There's can a be a mob movie. There's a
1: conspiracy theory. There's a conspiracy there theory always can be, is. be made from anything. And my question is, who ends up taking over the hardware store? Let's be honest. This town has a population of like maybe 200.
0: Do you think it became a Hardware Hank? I don't know. Or an Ace.
1: Or an Ace. I don't know. Ace always does offer franchising opportunities. Who knows? But
0: you've got a lot more offer to, you know, with Hank, Hardware Hank. I don't know. Or a lot more going for you. Yeah, they're going to get what? mad if I said that wrong.
1: Oh, gosh. What if it turned into a Kmart?
0: Then it wouldn't be open today.
1: And then the circle just keeps on going. Plot twist. It turned into a blockbuster.
0: It it went from a blockbuster to a Kmart to a Sears.
1: Oh, gosh. Gosh, we're just listing off everything that's gone under.
0: At least it wasn't a Dillard's.
1: Oh, or a Burdine's. I don't think y'all had Birdine's ever up here.
0: <laughs> uh, maybe a Woolworth's.
1: Maybe. Maybe. But anyways, you know, it's just it's kind of funny because it was such a small town and they had to bring in these New York yuppies to be able to buy the house, to be able to afford the house. And I think it was interesting how the the dad's prerogative was he just wanted to be somewhere nice and quiet and he wanted to unwind. But then the first chance that he had to potentially exploit the house and make it into just a big hubbubalooza, he absolutely went for it.
0: Yeah, he he wanted to turn it into, you know, a paranormal activity town and wants to open up different exhibits at museums and wants to just put a spotlight on the place where he it's like, all right, I'm going to go somewhere and be secluded. I'm just going to be, you know, take myself off the grid, but then I'm going to put a giant spotlight on myself
1: and then I'm going to try to buy the entire town
0: just so I can impress Robert Goulet
1: just so you can impress somebody and say, look, we did it.
0: And on that note, we are going to take our final break. When we come back, final thoughts on Beetlejuice, and we are going to... continue to eat this delicious Jake's Pizza. This is Katie Mays Real Date Night.
1: The salad bar at Jake's Pizza located in downtown Monty is finally back open. And to celebrate, we're running a special where you can get a 7-inch two-topping pizza, the salad bar, and a soda for the low price of $9.25. Our new dine-in hours are from 11 until 2, and our nighttime hours for delivery and takeout only are from 4 to close. Due to COVID-19 and to help keep people safe and healthy, a mask is required if you would like to enjoy the salad Give Jake's Pizza a call at 320-269-2115 to place your order today.
0: Grain bins, wagons, and trucks are involved in several grain suffocations or grain drownings each year. Grain flowing from the bottom through an unloading auger, or by gravity, acts much like quicksand. Keep children out of bins, wagons, and trucks. If you must enter a bin to check storage conditions, shut off and lock out all unloading equipment. Treat the bin as a potentially dangerous confined space. This farm safety message has been brought to you by Edward D. Jones, Harlan Greger's financial advisor, located at 1315 Grove Avenue in Montevideo. We're back here on KDMA's Real Date Night. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And tonight we've been discussing the movie Beetlejuice, the 1988 Tim Burton iconic film. And also eating Jake's Pizza along with their uh, cheesy garlic bread. So I love this pizza. Fantastic. done. you mentioned earlier, it's not too much sauce. There is a, a lot of cheese. Giant chicken slices, you know, chunks, whatever you want to call it. Definitely not canned chicken. This is then topped with just a a galore of bacon bits.
1: There is a lot of bacon going on here. There is no shortage of bacon, no shortage of chicken, no shortage of cheese. It Jake's is doing a fantastic job with this pizza. A lot of times when I've gone out to go get pizza, if you get any pizza that has toppings on it, You can tell that they're rationing their toppings or they're pre-weighing it, looking at you, Domino's, how you weigh all of your toppings before you put them on the pizzas. But with Jake's, you can tell that this this pizza was, it was almost crafted. It was almost curated.
0: I think Jerry Lee Lewis wrote a song called, Come on over, baby, whole lot of bacon going on. (laughs) I'll show myself out.
1: Please do. Overall, this is absolutely amazing pizza from here in Jake's of Montevideo. And the cheesy garlic bread—it pairs up perfectly with it.
0: Pairs up perfectly, and let's do our final analysis on the film *Beetlejuice*. All right, so it's one of those where there can be a happy life after death, uh, you know, is what they're saying. You can find y- your soul can find peace.
1: Your soul can find peace, and that. No matter how terrible a situation may look, there is always a way to make something livable, I think is kind of the thought piece with this. The, the couple spends the first part of the movie trying to just really enjoy their vacation. They don't want to leave the house. They don't want to deal with the realtor. They just want to be in their home alone. They die. They come back. They are no longer in their home alone. They just want solitary just to be left alone, to be completely honest. And they don't want to be around anyone. And then the New Yorkers come in. They don't want anything to do with how the house looks. Lydia doesn't want to be there. Everybody is just absolutely miserable. But with understanding, they were able to find a solution where everybody ends up winning at the end.
0: Everybody ends up winning, including the viewers, because absolutely phenomenal movie. We have been giving movies a rating system based on seven stars. For me, Beetlejuice, one of the all-time greats, seven stars. I don't even need to justify why. It's a perfect film.
1: This is going to be one of those rare times where you and I actually agree on the star system. I feel like this movie set such a precedence with Tim Burton, his style, his use of bright colors, vivid imagery. It just—this really paved the way. If this movie—if Beetlejuice had not succeeded the way that it did— I wonder if Tim Burton would have continued to be such a bold filmmaker with making very bold and contrasting statements in his movies. I think if this hadn't worked, then we wouldn't have the Tim Burton that we knew and love today.
0: You're right. There would be no Nightmare Before Christmas, no Corpse Bride, no reemergence of Frank and Weenie, none of these films. And I, I don't know that he would have tackled Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.
1: I really don't know, and like I said, this was—he made so many bold decisions with the costuming, with the with the sets, with the special effects, with the casting, with—I mean, him just releasing control to Michael Keaton and letting him just do what he was going to do. Well,
0: that's this, what you do with Michael Keaton.
1: Yeah, no, it is. But this was the first time that we began to see the Tim Burton that we know and love, and I I have to rate it seven stars because this is what helped create the lovable tim burton that we know and love today
0: and one of those movies i mentioned i first saw this movie when i was seven they got away with using the f-bomb in this movie once and it still got by with a pg-13 rating
1: and what's funny is the moment that you're talking about it's when he kicks the tree and the tree comes down so that was actually a blooper that ended up staying inside of the movie he was supposed to kick the tree and just be out of anger. Well, the tree came down, and Michael Keaton, being Michael Keaton, ad-libbed that line about... Nice model. Yeah, nice model. And it was such a laughable moment, and he did it with just such matter-of-factness that it just it fit with his character. It fit with the film. So that blooper ended up actually staying inside of the movie. The tree was not supposed to fall.
0: No, it wasn't <laughs> supposed to fall. It was a blooper that just became an iconic scene at the end of the day.
1: I feel like this whole movie is really an iconic scene. And like I said, I rate it also a good solid seven out of seven stars.
0: So seven out of seven as we conclude another October film. And don't forget to join us next week as we will have another amazing Halloween style film as we get closer to Halloween. It's a couple weeks from now and enjoy another delicious dish. But a big thank you to Jake's pizza for providing our meal tonight and a big thank you to you for tuning in. And don't forget we're on Apple now.
1: We are. We are finally on Apple podcast. We're on Apple anchor Spotify. I think if it exists, and it's a podcast platform. We are now on it and you can find us by looking up KDMA Real Date Night. And there we are.
0: Well, speaking of Real Date Night, we it has been real fun. And speaking for Josie, I'm Clint. And thank you for tuning in to a very special episode of Katie May's Real Date Night as tonight we talked about the Tim Burton film, Beetlejuice. Have a fantastic night and we will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.